Let's open up our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Mark. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 9, and uh, you, will, you can follow along with us on the Bible app if you didn't bring your Bible with you, or uh, you'll notice that our ushers are coming around this morning. Uh, they would love to give you a copy of God's Word, and uh, while you're turning to Mark chapter 9, um, life does get hard sometimes. But has anybody ever um, said to you, or have you ever heard someone say uh, this, God will never give you more than you can? Okay, so you have heard this. You heard this? Um, that sounds right. That sounds nice. And uh, that sounds like something that you should say to somebody um, when they're struggling. Uh, but the problem is, it's not what the Bible says. And that's kind of a problem. Um, it probably comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13, that actually says, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with it will provide the way of, of escape so that you will be able to endure it. What he's saying there is, uh, you don't have to give in to sin. No matter how strong the temptation gets. He's talking about temptation, not trials or circumstances. Can we just be real for a minute? Reality, we go through stuff all the time that we can't handle. And maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you are sensing, like, what I got going on. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I can handle this. What, what, what's, what's, what's the first thing that we should do when we're in a, a, a situation, a trial, or a circumstance that we can't handle? What do you think is the first thing that we should do? We should pray. I know that sounds like really simple and basic, but if you get that, then you're going to get God's word this morning. question is, why don't, why don't we do it? Why don't we spend more time in prayer? Hey, hey guys, when's the last time you uh, literally got down on your knees with your wife and you're going through something? And you decide, you know what, babe, we need, we, need, we need to pray. We need to spend some time before the Lord in prayer. When, when's the last time you said, hey, kids, come on, we, we need to pray about this. And I'm not talking about, like, thanking God for the grub before dinner. I'm, I'm saying, like, guys, we, we really need to pray about what's going on. Let's, let's pray together as a family. Hey, ladies, when's the last time that you initiated some on-the-spot prayer when somebody started opening up and sharing, because that happens, right? So people are sharing with you what's going on in their life, and sometimes it's really hard. When's the last time you were like, you know what, Let's right now, let's pray about that. We want to be a praying church, but we are constantly chasing this, that we want to pray. We, we pray because we need God to help us, right? Now, that's not the only time that we pray, but that's a really, really good time to pray when you need God to help you. And I'm not advocating that you start treating God like some uh, personal genie who whenever, you know, like the only time that you ever pray is when you have some selfish request to make your life a little bit more convenient. Like, dear God, please uh, make the traffic go away. Or, or um, please help me find a charger before my phone dies. Really don't know if I'm going to be able to survive that one. Or, or God, help me to get through Walmart without recognizing anybody. All right? Like, listen, you should be praying 
at those times. We should be praying all the time. But our prayers should be pointing our hearts back to the Lord, especially when you realize you're in over your head. Those moments where you would say, God, if you don't show up here and help me, this is going to take me down because I can't handle this. What's going on in your life right now that you can't handle? Are you praying about that? What, what are you doing in your time of need when you really need the Lord to help you? What I, I want you to see um, some other people that are in need here. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. I'm going to read this whole story here. I want you to see what happens to some other people that are um, in trouble and really need the Lord to help them. Uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. He says, when they, that's um, Jesus and Peter, James, and John. Remember that? They, they were up on the mountain, and Jesus was being transfigured in, in front of them. We saw that last week. Uh, now they're coming down. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he had a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation. Faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to... Bear with you. Bring him to me. And when they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I think that really summarizes it right there. If you need a big idea of this text, here's this. Note this. Prayer increases your faith in the one who can help. Prayer increases your faith in the one who can help. Lord, I pray that you would even now, you would remind us of these truths. We've been singing about this, that, that we think you're glorious. We think you're awesome. I pray that you would remind us of that. Convince us again. 
Help us to hold on to these promises so that when life isn't going the way we would hope, when we are facing it, when we are facing something that we can't handle, we know that we can trust you. I pray that you would show that to us again in your word. Increase our faith. Make us more like your son. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give you three uh, lessons then about praying in faith, okay? Uh, Here's one. I think you already know this, but let's just say it out loud here. Uh, Without faith, you fail. You know that? Here's the disciples, and um, verse 14, Jesus is coming down off the mountain. Again, he was up on that mountain being transfigured in front of them. But he comes down off of the mountain and runs into a scene. His disciples, at least uh, nine out of the twelve of them, are in trouble, which is often what happens whenever they're not with Jesus in this book. Okay, uh, But it says that, 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 I just want you to picture yourself, you're like in, in Peter's perspective. You're coming down off of the mountain, and what you see is a great crowd around them and the scribes are arguing with them so so this is kind of like a high school fight that's happening by the lockers okay and 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 you you see like these people some couple of kids are getting into it they're fighting with one another what's going to happen in the hallways everybody's going to come running because they want to see what's going on and so everybody's kind of gathered around in this circle you're trying to push your way to the front to see what's happening i mean this is good storytelling isn't it Because now I really want to know what's going on. And so Jesus actually asks us the question that we're wondering. Verse 16, he says, what are you arguing about with them? Now, I cannot tell you how many times this scene has played out in my household. Where I walk into it, it happened last night. And sometimes I walk into a room or I can hear it happening in another room. and, And for whatever reason, my kids are fighting. And I'm like, okay, okay, what's going on here? And, and, and Jesus' question is essentially, uh, who started it? And I can just like picture uh, all the disciples and the scribes. Everybody just kind of like looks down. And everybody gets quiet. Nobody really wants to say anything. And the text says, verse 17 says that someone else from the crowd tells us what's happening. A man comes forward and says, teacher, I brought my son to you. Notice he didn't bring them to the disciples, he was bringing them to Jesus because he needed a miracle. Why? Because my son has a spirit that makes him mute and it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth, he becomes real. I mean, these are, these are awful symptoms, right? We just see Satan's kingdom at it again, and if you're the parent, you're going to do whatever you can to try to get this taken care of. And we've got to get this demon out of here. Side note, um, if in, in this story, all the major players in the book of Mark converge in this moment. We see Jesus. We see his disciples. We see the crowds. We see the religious leaders represented in the scribes here. And we also see the demonic forces. All of them coming together in this story that's going to help clarify for us the two questions that we've been wrestling with this entire book. Who is this guy, Jesus? And what does it mean then to be his disciple? But the disciples are kind of failing. The problem that likely started this fight that's going on, verse 18, I came, I brought my son to you, 
but you weren't around. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able to do it. Okay, so that at least makes it, you know, makes it a little bit more clear what's going on here. The guy showed up. He's hoping that Jesus is going to be there. Jesus wasn't. But the rest of the disciples are like, man, we can handle this. We can do this. So they try, and they fail. And we don't exactly know what the, the scribes are arguing about with them, but maybe if you can imagine they're probably rebuking them for even trying, thinking that they had the power, that they could really handle this on their own. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're kind of rubbing this in their face that they failed a little bit. They failed. This is public humiliation for the disciples. And, and honestly, if, we're, if, if we think about it, it's actually a little shocking that they couldn't do it because they've done this before. Remember that? Back in chapter 6, Jesus had sent them out. You remember this now? He sent them out two by two. They went on their own little missions trip, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. In fact, I want to show this to you. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 13. Here's what happened. The disciples, it says, cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They've done this before. So the question is, why didn't it work this time? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 19. He says, Oh, faithless generation, how long do I got to put up with you? Now, now who's he referring to? When I, when I read this first, I'm like, is, he, is, he, is that kind of like he's talking about everybody, everybody's faithless generation? Is he talking about... Uh, just the crowds. I mean, surely he's talking about the scribes, but is he talking about the disciples too? And I think maybe it's general, but I think for sure he's directing this at his disciples. One, because they just failed. And two, because of what he's going to explain to them in verse 29 at the end of this. What he's basically saying, he's saying, without faith, you fail. The disciples didn't think that they needed Jesus. They thought they could handle one little demon on their own, no problem. And so Jesus, in this moment, now that they failed, you can just hear he's kind of like exasperated or disappointed maybe. Disappointed not in their inability. I mean, he knew that they couldn't handle it. He's really disappointed by their lack of faith and trusting in his power, in his authority, in a circumstance that they should have known that they couldn't handle on their own. What this tells us is that your failures are because of your lack of faith. When you don't trust him, when you don't believe him, when you don't take his word for it, and so you do your own thing. Now, I need to clarify because some of you just heard me wrong, okay? Uh, what, we, what we're not saying is that all of your circumstances or all of, uh, it, you know, that's because of your lack of faith. That if anything bad ever happens to you, like if you get sick or if your car breaks down, or um, uh, if you become the victim of injustice, that somehow that's your fault and the reason that that's happening to you is because of your lack of faith. That's not what this is saying. And the reason I know that, case in point, um, Jesus. If you think about it, he, he fully trusted in his Father and he never sinned. And yet he became the victim of the greatest evil and injustice the world has ever known. And we're also not saying that anytime you try anything and fail, 
It's because of your lack of faith. Like say you tried to go out and dunk a basketball. And you were, like, you were pumped up. In fact, you got a trampoline out because you're like, I'm going to do this. And, and you got your, your sweet kicks on. You got out there. and wi- I mean, it was embarrassing. It was bad. That's not because you didn't have enough faith. It might just be because God never intended you to dunk a basketball, okay? And it also, maybe you went out for a job interview and you tried your best. You were, doing, you were, you were trying as hard as you could and you didn't get it. It's not because you didn't have enough faith. What he's saying is the disciples' failure was their lack of faith. If they had trusted in the Lord, they would have turned to God for help, but they didn't. They didn't think they needed to. So your failure is your lack of faith. Anytime that you think you can do anything in your own power, in your own self-confidence without trusting in God, that's a fail. So he says you're a faithless generation. Now, now he normally doesn't um, refer to the disciples that way, but one commentator suggests that maybe Jesus is essentially kind of lumping them in with all the rest of the unbelieving crowds that don't believe that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. What he's saying is, you're just like them. This is a rebuke then. What he's saying is, guys, you should be the ones who are full of faith. You should stand out from the crowds in this moment. And I just have to wonder, do you think Jesus might actually say the same about us? That our faithlessness, and I gotta, like, this doesn't even make sense, okay? We're believers in Jesus, yes? So as believers in Jesus, it doesn't make sense when we stop believing that we can trust the Lord. And we stop recognizing how much we really need him, and we try to do it on our own. But whenever we do that, whenever we give in to that faithlessness, it leads us to to fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and depression. And this is just the indication of what's going on in my heart. I, I freak out about the circumstances that I have going on, and I start responding sinfully. And instead, I try to turn to to substances or materialism or relationships or anything else to try to make me feel better. Not trusting the Lord. Or it leads to impatience and anger and pride, going days without really praying about it and and something comes up and you just try to fix it on your own or you just get frustrated because you think, I I deserve better than this. And and i got to be honest with you, humanly speaking, based on the circumstances, it's kind of understandable why you would respond that way. But when you're not trusting and when you're not depending on the Lord, that faithlessness is called sin. And sin is always a big deal. Without faith, you fail. And so the disciples are not really giving us a very good example to follow, but there's someone who does. It's the, uh, it's the dad here. So here's the uh, second lesson. Note this. Humbly cry out to the Lord for help. Watch, watch how the dad responds. Uh, verse 20, Jesus is like, all right, bring him to me. They bring the boy to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, okay, so we're about to have another spiritual showdown here, and this demon's not going down without a fight, and so he, you know, he, like, 
rips into this little boy, and everyone just sees this suffering happening right in front of them. In fact, uh, Matthew and Luke actually record this story, but Mark gives us way more detail. Matthew actually tells us that, yes, it was a demon, but the boy was suffering from epilepsy. Like seizures, and, and, and these are like major seizures, okay? This has got to be one of the worst cases we've ever seen. And, and Mark doesn't give us that diagnosis, but he does show us these awful sy- symptoms, this, this kind of graphic depiction of this poor boy. It says he's, he, he was rolling about on the ground, foaming at the mouth. I mean, he wants us to feel the horror in this. Once again, we are confronted by these evil forces wanting to destroy God's good creation. That's what Satan does. And Jesus says, how long has this been happening? And he says, this has been going on from childhood. This has been going on for years. And everybody in the circle watching this poor little boy on the ground is like, this is terrible, this is awful, but this is nothing. Because apparently this has been going on for years and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. I mean, you just try to picture this is your kid. Where any moment, your son's like, he's, he's foaming at the mouth, he's rolling on the ground, you don't know if he's going to die. And he's covered in scars and burns because one minute you'll be cooking dinner over the fire and the next moment it's like somebody throws him into the flames. Like, like your kid wants to kill himself. And you can't walk by water. I mean, how many times have you had to jump in to try to rescue him from drowning? I mean, you want to talk about more than you can handle. You just feel the emotion of this dad. Verse 22, he says, if you can do anything, help us. Please help us. I mean, he's desperate. This is his life. He spends every day trying to take care of his son, And his son has a demon who's trying to torture him and kill him every day. He can't handle this. My dad knows that. But his request actually betrays his doubt. He's not sure. I mean, maybe he brought it to the disciples and they failed. And so maybe the failure is kind of shaking his faith a little bit here. But he kind of questions Jesus' ability. Notice he's banking on his compassion, but he's hoping that he's also capable. Sometimes this is our question, isn't it? Can Jesus really do something about my suffering? When I'm hurting, when I'm in need, is God capable of answering my cry for help? Can he do it? And this questioning isn't anything new. In fact, we've seen Jesus questioned before. Maybe you remember all the way back at the beginning in chapter 1, there was another man who came up to Jesus. He was a leper. I've got this for you on the screen. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it said a leper, a a man came up to him. He's got, you know, his, his skin condition, this disease covering him. And he was imploring him and kneeling, said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. This guy was confident that Jesus could, he just wasn't sure if Jesus would. See that? He he didn't know if, like, he knew, you're powerful, I get that. I just didn't know if you were the kind of man who would show compassion and be willing 
to help. And now here in chapter 9, we've got this dad who's confident that Jesus is a compassionate, kind man, just not sure if he can really help. But Jesus has been showing us over and over and over again the answer, right? I mean, this book has given us this incredible promise that we have a Savior who does care about our suffering and who can do something about it. That's a promise we hold on to. And so I love how Jesus responds, verse 23. He, he says, if you can, I, uh, you must be new here. Like, have you not seen the miracles that we've been doing? Like, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, you and I really don't have much of an excuse at this point, do we? As we have seen over and over in God's word that Jesus is good and that he is powerful. We have seen the evidence and we have no reason to doubt it, right? Right? Do you still believe? Even if you're going through it? Even if you're suffering, even if you don't understand why what's going on in your life is happening right now, do you still believe that he does care, that he is good, that he's also powerful and capable? He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. We've heard this a lot, right? Everything is possible. Okay, so this is not Jesus telling him, you just need to go out and get Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You need to get that tattooed on your body somewhere and psych yourself up, and then you'll be able to go out, and you'll be able to dunk a basketball. You'll be able to jump off a building and fly. You'll be able to cure your son. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is telling him, I know you can't handle this, but he's elevating the importance of faith in him. He's trying to say to this man, listen, listen, you just saw my disciples fail because they were faithful. But you don't have to fail too. Are, are you going to believe? Don't you love that God is just patiently giving us opportunities to learn this lesson? And I love, love, love how he responds. In fact, verse 24, uh, look at the text. I want you to see this. In fact, I, if you don't already, I want you to circle this, star this, underline, do whatever you got to do. I want you to have verse 24 down here, okay? But don't just leave it on a page. Let this become your prayer. The, the, the father says, uh, he, he, he cries out. You just see the emotion. What he says is, I believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. We say, Jesus, I do believe that you can. I, I, and I get it. I get it, okay? I shouldn't be questioning you. The problem is not you. The problem is me. What, what he's doing is confessing. He's, he's in humility. He's just willing to admit that he still has unbelief in his heart. I still got doubts. I'm still wrestling with this. That He knows that his faith is weak. But notice, he's turning to the only one who can help him overcome those doubts and that unbelief. Because his original request in verse 22 was help us. But now he understands that there, there, there's a deeper need and it's much more personal. I need you to help me. Because I don't have enough faith. But Dr. Danny Aiken has said this way, the key is not the depth 
of our faith, but the direction of our faith. What's important is not the potency of our faith, but the person our faith is in. Where do you look for help? You don't have to, like, amass a, a certain amount of faith before you'll be able to. No, no, no. You see, just throw it all at him. He, this man understands his own inadequacies. He's understanding. My tendency is to be just like the rest of that faithless generation. But even though he's still torn by his doubts, he drops to his knees and he humbly cries out to the Lord for help. He said, I can't do this. But I believe you can help. I believe that you can help me even to trust you. And Jesus is teaching this man to ask not just for his circumstances to change, but for his faith to be strengthened in the midst of those circumstances. You get that? Do you know how that would change your prayer life? How would your prayers change this week if you recognized that that was your deeper need? I'm glad you're praying for things. In fact, we, we, we have our registers that go around, and we have the prayer requests that come in, and we see a lot of those. And I know the things, some of the things you're praying for. Keep praying for those things. But can we just say, like, a lot of times, our prayers, maybe you've been praying, asking God to give you a, a better job. Maybe you've been asking God to give you a better place to live. Maybe you've been asking God to show you what's next or what's coming what, 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 what do you want to do with my, what, what, what's going to happen next year? Maybe you've been asking God to let you get married, bring you a spouse. Maybe you've been asking God to fix your marriage. Maybe you've been asking him to, to, to heal and improve your health or to take care of your family. And those are things that we should be praying for. But a lot of times our prayers are so focused on asking God to change our circumstances when he really wants to change Increase our faith that we would trust you even in the midst of these circumstances. Will you humble yourself just like this dad? Will you repent, confess that, and admit that you need him to help you even to just trust that he's going to work in the midst of your circumstances? Well, Jesus does what he always does in battle with the enemy and the demon. Uh, it's not really fair. Um, it doesn't stand a chance, and so Jesus commands him, and the demon has to come out. But I want you to notice that it actually seems like it kind of gets worse. Verse 27, um, as soon as the demon came out, it says the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, uh, he is, he's, he's what? He's dead. I, imagine the dad now. You ever been praying for something specifically only to see that situation get worse? I mean, you talk about a test of faith right there. But watch what Jesus does. Look at verse 27. Look, look, look what he does. Jesus steps up, takes his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. What does that sound like? Sounds like what Jesus is about to do for them. Sounds like the very thing that he, these disciples have been wrestling with. They don't understand why a Messiah would come to die. And he keeps talking about this resurrection from the dead, but he's showing them what he's going to do in his resurrection. 
He's showing them that he is going to be the one to go to the cross for their sin, to be raised to new life, to conquer sin and death. Now that means um, for us, we're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back. And there is coming a day where because Jesus was raised to new life, we will be raised to new life at the resurrection as well. So what that means for you this week is that God doesn't promise you that he's going to answer all of your prayers exactly the way you want them right now. He doesn't promise you that your circumstances are going to improve in this lifetime. But because of the gospel, because we have the hope of the resurrection, we know that in the end, God is going to set all things right. And so we can humbly cry out to the Lord for help. I can't handle this. I need you to strengthen my faith. Knowing that he has the power to help us. Let me give you one more lesson. Here's the third. Reprioritize prayer. Reprioritize prayer. So verse 28, the... uh, the disciples get to go into the house with Jesus by themselves, which is often kind of the, uh, the setting in the book of Mark where we get a little bit more behind-the-scenes explanation. And they asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? I mean, their failure is still kind of bothering them. And that, that, I mean, it, was, it was kind of humiliating. It's a little embarrassing. That was out in public. Everybody saw it. And, and it's got to be frustrating because they'd been able to do it before, so why didn't it happen this time? Why didn't the magic work this time? Well, Jesus explains this this summary, I think, really uh, captures this entire story. Verse 29, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So at first glance, it almost seems like what Jesus is saying is we're dealing with a different type of demon. And some people get all jazzed about that. They're like, oh, so there's different types of demons. There's like red ones. There's like dragon kind of demons. Like, I don't know. That is as intriguing and as creepy as that sounds. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. What he's not saying is there's like a kind or a species of demon that requires a special prayer. You know, then then like prayer is kind of like a cheat code for this particular fight that that other kinds of demons don't require. that's, That's just a little demon. You don't need to pray about that one. You can handle it. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? What he's saying to them, the reason that they couldn't handle it, the reason they failed is because they'd not been spending time in prayer. They were not depending on the Lord. And why weren't they praying? Why didn't they pray? Well, why don't we pray? Because we don't think we need to. Where where does prayer rank in your priorities? If we were to kind of like look at your schedule the last week, couple weeks, last month, Is prayer that important to you? I mean, I was trying to think, like, this is basically it. We just need to pray more. But if we understand the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, and we understand our own hearts and our tendencies to run away from him and not trust him, then we understand how much we really need to be praying. The problem is what happens is we get out of the habit, and we just kind of start coasting. You know what I'm saying? And... Everything seems to be okay. 
And so it fools us into thinking that we can handle life on our own and we forget how much we really need the Lord. And so then we go right back to failing in our faith and and go into fear and worry and anxiety and depression and impatience and anger and pride and lust and and, and all of it because we're not trusting the Lord. The disciples kind of got caught off guard. They they just didn't think they needed to be praying. They weren't doing it. And then all of a sudden, they found themselves in a situation they couldn't handle, and it showed the foolishness of being self-reliant. You can't handle it. And even if you think you're coasting and everything's good, it means your faith is failing. Prayer increases your faith in the one who can help, and it reminds us how much we need him to help. So I don't know what it is that you're facing right now, but you need him, right? What would it look like for you to reprioritize prayer this week? Where do you start? Do you start tonight? Get a list, set a time, find some accountability. He's urging disciples we really want to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to recognize how much we need him. So I was thinking about how, we, how do we end this. Um, how about we pray? Is that a good way to do it? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I want to give you a moment just to pray. Because Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you've been reminded that you can't handle life as much as you thought you could. Maybe you've just been coasting, thinking everything's fine, and it just hasn't been a major priority for you. Would you just spend a few minutes right now, just you and the Lord, and let's spend some time praying, asking God, even in this moment, to increase our faith. Remind us how much we need Him. Help us to know that we can trust Him. He will make us more like himself. Why don't you spend just a moment praying personally? I don't think any of us are exempt from this. That we want to be a praying church that really does believe firmly in the power of prayer. That we want to hold on to those promises that you have made. We just confess right now that so often we just go about our lives acting like we got this, we can handle it. Would you humble us before our circumstances do? you remind us that we can draw near to you, that we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that your ways really are higher than our own. 
Make us a praying church that trusts in you and increase our faith so that you get the glory. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.